1: Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Zumb Podcast number 17. Interview today with Eric Cash, I just want to give you a couple notes on him. He's a stand-up comic, former street performer, uh, traveling circus ringleader, uh, deep history in the punk scene, so we talk a bit about that stuff. He mentions his special Anti-Famous and website, Anti-Famous.com, the website's not up yet, and the special is kind of indefinitely postponed, as far as I know. He will definitely post about it when it's rescheduled. And the best way to find him online right now is Facebook, uh, The Eric Cash. And he'll be performing at the San Francisco Burrito and Comedy Festival, uh, which you can go to BurritoFestival.com. I'll be working on the last weekend shows there, too. So come by check us all out. And enjoy the show. Computer. I figured the thing. Oh, oh, good idea. Yeah. Good thinking. So, the uh, MacGyver of my kitchen right now is Eric Cash. Woo-hoo-hoo. We're trying out a recording in the living room or in the kitchen right now. Actually, I don't even have the monitor on. I shouldn't take the uh, headphones off. Um,
0: it's cool. It makes you look spacey. I
1: know, yeah. So, uh, Eric is a comedian who, like a, a bunch of comedians I've met, you have a pre-existing condition. Uh, <laughs> I mean, a pre-existing performance experience, right? Or, or like, were yeah, you, I
0: did a lot of other things for as a comic. Um, I think there's a few of us cause we get tired of carrying gear and having to work with other people. That is exactly, <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly one of the things I tell people when they ask me about it.
1: Yeah. Like being, you, you're, you don't have to be a roadie for other people. You don't, And then at the end, if you get any money, you don't have to split it up seven ways or whatever.
0: Yeah, and fight over who's going to buy us a pack of cigarettes. Mm -hmm. But what was your... Were you ever in a band, or is this uh, the the busking thing you're talking about? I was in hardcore bands. And then... uh, I was in hardcore bands on the East Coast. um, And I was a painter. And then I um, started a punk rock circus in 1998. And then in 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, and 2003, we did four U.S. tours. We did a bunch of things. We are on HBO and Discovery. And what was the name of the group? We were called the Know Nothing Family Circus Sideshow. Okay, I feel like I've heard of that, yeah. You may have. We were kind of a mess. You guys started, where would you guys start out? <laughs> well, I had been in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um... And then I took off for a little while, and a bunch of my friends were in Boston and Connecticut. And then I moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and then I started calling my friends and tell them, telling them that they were moving to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I didn't tell them why. It's 98-ish? <laughs> yeah, and okay. so they started moving there, and I was really crazy, and we started building gigantic puppets, and... um and uh, I don't know how to describe those days. I took a lot of LSD for a long time, <laughs> and I'm and I'm I'm a megalomaniac without it. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. So, but this started. So the busking stuff started
0: in Boston. I didn't start. I didn't start street performing uh-huh. until I'd been with the circus for like two years. I technically started in two thousand. Um, I didn't really have a show t- until two thousand one. Um, And I didn't really get it together as a street performer until I quit the circus, because I just just didn't want to work for anybody else, and so we would tour during the summer, and then I would try to make money um, doing street shows in the winter, and I did a magic show for a little while. Um, Technically, I've always bounced off and on as a street performer. I was trying to get money for breakdancing when I was a little kid, and then I did fire shows when we were in the circus, and Um, then we did... um, I used to do this puppetry thing. I had this gigantic puppet named Mama that looked like this old faded gypsy woman. She was built just like um, the Skexies oh, and the yeah. Mystics were in Dark Crystal. Right, right. So you so, had to have like... Sorry, well, no, her head, I moved with my hand and uh-huh. her neck went over my head. Ah. And she had one arm and that was my arm. And then she was just this big pile of rags. And my girlfriend who was in the circus at the time, um, Mickey Love had this beautiful singing voice and so the act was Mickey would stand between my legs underneath me in this big pile of hulking rags at this with this old gypsy woman face like you never had any idea what the hell was underneath it and I would speak in this like really bad cockney accent screaming at people to um gather around so I could sing a song and I'd be like you want to say you want to hear a song come on then and I would just keep doing this and keep doing this and then um Eventually, when we'd have a, a big enough of a crowd, I would go a one, a two, a one, two, three, four, and Mickey would belt out with his beautiful voice. I've been through the wilderness, and we'd do like a virgin. <laughs> sounds awesome. It's really stupid. <laughs> what
1: this is, and this is just like. In, like, uh, Cambridge or whatever? No, that was in New Orleans, Uh and
0: I moved around a lot, sorry, my my timeline's crazy. (laughs) Um, That was in New Orleans, like, the year that we started the circuit, so that's what we would do. We lived, we were living in, we moved from Albuquerque to New Orleans, and we were living in a squat, and um, because the people that we were supposed to stay with when we came to New Orleans had gotten kicked out and just vanished off the face of the planet, we went to their house and were like screaming at their window, and their land came, landlord came out and they're like, They're not here anymore. They're gone. <laughs> so we opened up a squat and we would take this ridiculous fuck all puppet in a shopping cart two miles to the quarter every day and do this stupid act. That, and stupid then we times. would drink all of it.
1: Yeah. Now, that, I've never actually been to New Orleans. It sounds like a really... A it's really, a good really place awesome to
0: place. not make much money and drink every dime you did. Right, right.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it sounds like why uh, like people... The only people I kind of know out there were like, Quintron and this uh-huh. Cat, And, like, speaking of puppets, like, she's yeah. great with all that stuff. But if... So you bounced around a lot. So what
0: was the the starting out? The circus circus was in New Orleans. Okay, that was New Orleans. We started it in Albuquerque, Mm -hmm. and this was like in when we started it. I was so out of my mind, Um, and I can't believe I got these people to move there, and we got we got a few of us there, and then um, and then we hooked up with this group called the End of the World Circus, kind of, and they were out of New Orleans, kind of. They had, like, three groups, Austin, New Orleans, and I can't remember where the third group was. San Francisco. I don't know why I forgot that. Mm-hmm. Um, but so so we were, like, we're going to we're gonna meet up. We were going to piggyback onto their tour, but we went to Olympia, Washington first, the Know Nothings. And um, my plan in Olympia was we were going to pick up Trust Fund kids to help us. Finance our tour, which we did, and that ended really badly. <laughs> wait, wait, this is like two thousand two or something. This is in ninety eight. Ninety eight. You were in Olympia. Oh man, you probably were in Albuquerque, New Orleans, and then Olympia.
1: Probably knew some of the people in Olympia that you—I I don't know who you built out of. A, or it wasn't like you're bilking the uh, them out of money. They
0: just—we kind of wound up bilking. You know, we, we weren't intending to, right. but then, like, I don't remember what. Fuck was wrong with me or was wrong with I don't, everyone that was with me but I think we went we tried to go from Olympia to New York in this <laughs> 36 foot English touring coach that we'd bought for $1000 I learned how to drive stick in it on to the, this on the day side, yeah yeah, the yeah. Side, it had the, the driver's it? side on the right oh. hand side it was this beautiful bus that had, all of this is true by the way the bus had been knighted by the Queen of England because it had originally been part of the Queen's royal procession and one of the rules is anything that the queen may ever possibly place her blue blood butt in mm-hmm. has to be knighted. I think this goes back to horses and, and all <laughs> this shit. Who knows? The royal family makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. <laughs> but so this bus we had this we had this certification. So yeah, we kind of built them out of money because for one thing we tried to drive this bus built in nineteen sixty-nine in England. From Olympia to New York to start the—Pennsylvania, that's where we went first. We went to a rainbow gathering in, in Pennsylvania, and it was just awful. And, um, Wait, have you done this before? We had never performed at one. I had been to one yeah. the year before. That's where I met the girl that I started the circus with, Mickey. I was dating—all my stories are totally insane. <laughs> that's, um, why, that's why I wanted to get you in here. <laughs> I had met her at this rainbow gathering while dating this other girl, but the other girl was, was too crazy and too much of a Wiccan— and me and Mickey like were like screw the Rainbow Gathering, and we hitchhiked back to her apartment in Albuquerque because this Rainbow Gathering was in Flagstaff, and so we hitchhiked back to her apartment in Albuquerque and like had a great time. And then I was like I'm wintering here, and then she I I had my my group of friends and I had been throwing around this word circus, but it didn't even mean anything. And then she had, like, friends that were circus people, and I was like, I'm going to move to Albuquerque, and we're going to start a circus, and we're going to build puppets out of trash, and we're going to change the world and have lots of sex. And so we kind of did, I guess. But
1: when (laughs) you guys were talking, when the word circus was being bandied around, and you said she knew circus people, was there a clear idea that there was going to be this kind of alternative circus world and then like, I don't know, like, there already was, like, Chicken John had already,
0: I didn't Uh know any of this stuff at the time. There already was this burgeoning circus scene. It wasn't even burgeoning, I guess. I mean, Jim Rose did his thing Mm -hmm. in the early Early 90s 90s, and then Chicken did Circus Ridiculous and then a lot of the people that were in the End of the World show, were either ex-Circus Ridiculous or people who were never allowed to join Circus Ridiculous. Right, right. They were all jilted. I remember most of the end of the world, people hated Chicken John. They were, and, and I didn't know Chicken for years, but people used to call me Little Chicken to insult me, <laughs> which is weird because it's not like Chicken is tall.
1: What did you play when you did
0: music also? I sang.
1: You were the singer. So. I
0: also, um, I played guitar for a while, and then I played um in the circus... Uh, I played Latin percussion, um, and I played timbales. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've done a lot. I'm not a great musician. I really mm-hmm. like to do it, but that doesn't mean I'm good at what it. What were
1: the punk bands you were doing?
0: Uh, I was in a hardcore band called 1984 with... Oh, I've heard of that. Really? Pittsburgh? Manchester, Connecticut. Okay, but it was the same it? town that like Jeff, like we used to play shows with uh, Jack Kashid, who's now in and you know Jeff Kishit is Isis and okay. uh, Red Sparrows and he's doing a new project with Greg from Dillinger and uh, Julie Christmas called Spilacopa um, Cable is from there um, that scene produced a lot a lot of stuff I'm thinking 1985 that's <laughs> the band they must have been a ripoff band <laughs> I
1: think to the pain my yard now shall get blood right they tell that with back or I get out that so let's
0: Our, ba- our bass player who started the band with me, um, his name's Ian. He's in a band called Fracas now. He oh, in here, here in the band? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they've been a on forever. The ch- he was in One in the Chamber. Okay. Well, he's still that. in One in the Chamber. I just think they're not really doing shows anymore. And mm-hmm. um, He was involved with, I think. I know you used to live with Matt from High on Fire, and I think they did a project or two together. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Like, Ian is a really good friend of mine, but I can't keep track of what bands he's in, because it's usually three, and two of them are falling apart.
1: You know, I wanted to, like, touch on the punk thing, because we did mention how, like, having that background, and then when you enter the comedy world...
0: There is, okay, there's one thing... Maybe, yeah, you have to turn all your ideals around or figure out how to make them fit.
1: This is a... Yeah, okay, I was going to say if you had the thing because when I was coming up through that was maybe around the time, like, Riot Girl was starting mm-hmm. and, like, everything was really... And I was in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Everything was really, like, politically directed and really, like, identity politics directed. And then, like... Berkeley's my baby, but I should have aborted it. I used to work with that guy. <laughs> had
0: some doubts in the waiting room.
1: <laughs> um, the, the sense that I had... And also when I bring, and do you know Jessica Seeley? No. She's like a, a young comic who moved here from Washington. And okay. she's also like queer and brings a lot of her mm-hmm. queer friends to shows. And she's always like, I feel really bad bringing my friends to the shows because I feel like everyone's super sexist and it's like yeah. really offensive and they get really bummed out. And I've talked to her about this and I'm like, and you misogynistic know. misogynistic.
0: Exactly. And,
1: like, it's a huge yeah. part of it. And, uh. I read something you posted about, like, you know, like, if anyone, like, takes a pot shot at, like, a sex worker or anything like that, like, that's, you know, ground for uh, just punching in the face or something. But, I mean, yeah. that's, like, that's more complicated with everything else, but, um, you know. I've always
0: felt that way, though, uh-huh. even before I married a sex worker. Um, uh-huh. I've, I've always felt that way because I would I would be at shows and I would just, I would cringe. Like, everybody uses the same Crappy punchline of, like, oh, yeah, of course, that stripper's just using it for college, and like, right. it's not funny for one thing, yeah, it's, it's a hack, right? Um, it's so just a played out thing, and and it's also, it's also like, well, why are you casting aspersion on a woman using her sexuality in order to make a living and not explaining? If this is so gross, what were you were doing in a strip club? <laughs> true, true that. Do There's that. always that angle yeah. to it. Like, no, none of these guys ever owns the fact that they were, like, lonely and horny and in a strip club by themselves.
1: Coming with that kind of idea, and I'm not saying that everyone who's involved in punk was into it for political reasons or ideologies, or that there's even a coherent ideology. There's not a coherent ideology with punk, is what I think is interesting. But it is the DIY. Yeah, it was
0: always it. really fluid, which yeah, I thought yeah. was really funny. Um, because there was the scenesterism, and that was where all the people were like trying to follow this fluid idea that mm-hmm. kept changing <laughs> on yeah. them. And then there was just all of us involved in it who were like making it up as we went along, right? And like,
1: yeah did um, you find any of that in... because Olympia is kind of notorious for that. I don't know how you fit how oh, you, God, you guys fit yeah. in there what Olympia's, was that all what was ninety eight in Olympia Olympia is a
0: beautiful, awful, tragic little bubble
1: <laughs> it's so weirdly its own thing yeah. yeah it is and it's like i it's like I feel like it's this thing where sometimes i I've, I've had great times there and I've had this like mediocre times there and it's like always like I was like to keep the temperature. I like to keep my, you know what the temperature is. are all trying to, to justify about
0: 40 political ideologies that are at odds with each other.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. It's, it's really, like Berkeley, but smaller. It's like
1: even more, yeah, like it's more like a.
0: Yeah, know, and like, there's nothing in Berkeley. There's Oakland right there. Mm-hmm. Berkeley has influences other than Berkeley, mm-hmm. and Olympia is just this little bubble stuck in the woods. Right. So there's nothing else other than lumberjacks when you drive out of it.
1: Like state employees, college kids, yeah. weird hippies. And so, this little together. tiny
0: community of mm-hmm. people that go to a college that doesn't have grades <laughs> yeah. are, you know, and they're all, and almost all of them are like Mensa level right. from rich parents mm-hmm. who wanted to be hippies. Like it's this really odd collection mm-hmm.
1: of people. <laughs> and I feel like people like us could somehow manage to teach a class there somehow if we just played it, played our cards right. Oh yeah, yeah, but I mean, what are you going to teach? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> um, what, were you guys all living in a house together at this point? It's like seven people or something. Your whole group. The know group
0: was, yeah. At that point, I think it was it was me, Mickey Ludwig, Amy. Joshy. No, Joshy wasn't exactly with us. Um, we were picking back. up some of our members in Olympia too, oh, really? and sadly one of them died of, of, uh, of, of leukemia. Uh, um, which like he, we just showed up and he had these like lumps in his neck. It, he, like literally it looked cartoony. It looked like um it looked like a flintstone ear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, he didn't know what it was and then very uh, quickly oh. like he was very strange.
1: Right that was then little nodes or whatever, mm-hmm. yeah, get affected.
0: Yeah, but no one was diagnosing it. Like, we showed up, and we were like, Bill, what's what's up with your neck? And he's like, I don't know. I think it's a bacterial infection. And then, like, a week later, they're like, oh, my doctor says it's my wisdom teeth. And then he goes, what to, the fuck? So he goes to the dentist, and we called. If I remember correctly, we called because we were supposed to pick him up. And he goes, yeah, yeah, you don't need to pick me up. There's a helicopter coming. And we're like, what? And he goes, it's not my wisdom teeth. I have advanced leukemia and they literally sent a helicopter and picked him up oh maybe he, he may, i think maybe he did come home and then packed a bag uh-huh. because they were sending a helicopter to pick him up and fly him to seattle to go into oh, the cancer man. ward um see again like just, just totally derailed the story no, 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 no. there were seven of us that's the <laughs> right 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 and and about right right um and, and about 1100 clown suits
1: it's, okay, so this is it's like the the circus is straight up juggling happening, clown stuff, no. like nothing. <laughs>
0: it's more alternative yeah, did, than that. We did we did weird puppet stuff uh-huh. and then eventually it just turned into um the most sh- shocking show ever. Our list of acts was like um one of our clowns uh would put a power drill down his urethra. Um uh-huh. His band is actually playing Benders tomorrow. It's called My Graveyard Um, Jaw. Yeah, he would do that. I did an act that banned us from multiple clubs where I shot an apple off an audience volunteer's head with a 9mm. Oh, shit. Um, Our finale act was uh, our house musician um, doing... doing the bed of nails, and he was honestly, in my opinion, the best bed of nails artist I've ever seen, and then he would suck his own cock to finale the show on his bed of nails. Um, The act before that, my girlfriend, Mickey, would do this, uh, she would do an electricity act earlier in the show that was more a traditional sideshow, and then later in the show she would do this thing where she um, stood on her head and lit a light bulb in her vagina um, Where is the power coming from? Is this like the way you can her, make a potato man. clock?
1: Yeah, it's like a potato clock. So I don't vagina <laughs> I, I don't reveal trade secrets. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what oh. else did we do?
0: We, I, I would walk in broken glass. You guys
1: just made up your own routines, like just like. Um, a lot of like
0: people came some? up with something that they wanted to do. I would write a bunch around it. We would all egg each other on as to things to do. Like we were around for years, and we were literally like. Once we started going in that direction, like, my friend Ludwig would gargle his own piss to Iron Man. Um, I can vomit on command, so could Pierre Pressure. Um, we did a few different acts. One of them was a thing where Pierre and Nostril would do this thing where Nostril dressed up like a baby bird and, and uh, chirp at Pierre's feet while he ate things and then vomited them into his mouth. Um Wow, we also had a thirteen-piece band in one place. And so this band, Uh, my friend Aura would, and this was actually we we were in Hustler, but in the the article was supposed to be about the whole circus, and then they made him focus on Aura's act, where she she would hang a six-pack of beer from her labia. Um, God, what else did we do? A lot of things that you probably shouldn't do to yourself. And
1: this is like. Oh, yeah. So this had to be... There's no equivalent of open mic for the circus world, right? We We had an open mic, actually.
0: (laughs) We had an open mic mic that we would do when we were wintering. I was telling this story the other night. So the circus had this funny thing where everyone else was convinced it was a collective, and then I would continually yell, collectives don't work, I'm the boss, shut up. (laughs) And so the circus would always be doing... There was this... I was the bad guy, and there was always this like mutual antagonism. So they would always try to do things to get past me or make me angry, and it was this constant game for years. Were you like the PT Barnum, like the the kind of the ring master? Yeah, except retarded. Right, right, right. Um, Yeah, I guess so. I was the MC. Pierre also Mm -hmm. MC'd for a while, Um, but I was the MC, Um, and I, I did one or two acts. And I came up with things. I wrote a rock opera at one point. Um, and it made no sense whatsoever, but people liked it. Um, but we, we would, we had this bar called the Hi-Ho Lounge in New Orleans and every Wednesday we did this thing we called an open mic and it was a bunch of drunk people doing things and then we would come up with new circus acts and then people also kept saying that it was auditions for the circus and I was like, these aren't auditions, I'm I'm not taking any of these idiots. (laughs) But it was useful because... And keep in mind, in a lot of ways, we were just awful people. <laughs> and um, there was this one dude that kept asking me if he could be in the circus. And I said no. And he kept asking everybody else. And and oh, also, all of our clowns had their makeup tattooed on. And the first one of those was this guy, Nostril Dumbass. And Nostril is just a phenomenon. And, um, and so Nostril told him this thing and he nostril comes running up to me and is like, I told this guy that if he can do this, he can be in the show. And I was like, well, you know, he can't be in the show. And he goes, let's get him to do this. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and what he had done is he had told the guy that he could come with us on tour. If he could eat a gallon jar of mayonnaise on stage. Whoa. And so, so we go to our open mic and this guy's like all psyched about this. And, um, and I'm like, God, i got to MC this and make this funny. And me and Pierre co-emceed it. And oh. so we get this guy, and um, we, get, we go, he's really been wanting me to join the show. Um, blah, blah, blah. And I pull out a chair and a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> and we introduce him, and he's like raising his arms like a pro wrestler, and everybody claps for him, get him down. And I tell him, I tell him if you can eat that entire jar of mayonnaise... In five minutes or less, oh. and he looks at me, and I was like, "Dude, we have gotta keep this show moving. <laughs> we can't be watching you eat mayonnaise I'm gonna lie, for two and a half. I'm pounds. gonna light you at four minutes." <laughs> and so, I'm, and I'm like, "This is just awful." And it was disgusting to watch. And so, he sits down with this gallon jar of mayonnaise oh. with this bucket in between his feet, and he starts going for it. Oh. And me and Pierre are both I'm seeing it, just describing how awful it must feel. And like, both of us are actually kind of worried. I don't know what this much mayonnaise will do
1: to the human body. I don't think that they've done that to rats. Yet. Like, I'm yeah. so
0: worried this guy is just going to choke or keel and yeah. die, yeah. like, with mayonnaise, like, pouring out of his ice. <laughs> ice. <laughs> and so he's going for it and he's going for it. And we're just describing how disgusting it is, too. Like, we're not making this any easier at all. It's just awful <laughs> from beginning to end. And, like, right at the end, we're counting down ten nine and he's shoveling with this oh. gigantic spoon into his face oh. and he finally like like right at right at one second he like rings the, uh, <laughs> the the spoon around the thing and turns the mayonnaise jar upside down and we go you did it and he goes <laughs> and vomits all oh. one gallon of mayonnaise into the bucket and I look at him and I go I forgot to mention you have to hold it down oh <laughs> you guys were assholes you're yeah, awful <laughs> Really, (laughs) it wasn't my idea we would just (laughs) egg each other on into these like horrible things we were were you guys doing had day jobs or anything at that time or you're squatting right well no we weren't squatting but I think we were paying like $20 a month for a rent we had this gigantic warehouse it was three stories tall called the Ass Palace um and mostly we would just hang out there doing We, we, we had an art studio everybody made money different ways um you know like I would street perform um I wasn't making huge money as a street performer then, but, I mean, like, in New Orleans, you figure out. Like, in New Orleans, you learn a thing about money, and that's, money is moving around, and all you have to do if you want some of it is put yourself in the way of where it's traveling. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I would, like, during Mardi Gras, like, you're Mm -hmm. not allowed to paint faces on Bourbon Street, but I'm fast, so I would (laughs) just go down and paint faces, and I'd make, like, $500 in two hours. Right. You know, I painted this, this Starship Enterprise on this girl's breasts one time and it was really funny I was like this is what, the dumbest with thing. the areola like right here I tried I, well, <laughs> I had to watch out for cops and so I was like, trying to like keep an eye out because the, uh, the police there the will kill you you know really? like
1: are they totally tough they, they, they... they're
0: the biggest street gang in New Orleans they're crazy okay. yeah yeah I mean I don't remember she was like can you do the Starship Enterprise and I was like my mom's a big Trekkie I guess <laughs> that was my answer <laughs>
1: So then, okay, so when did the transition happen from the circus into stand up comedy?
0: Um, the circus was like exploding in 2004. And I had a friend that did comedy. And then I realized like that's all I'd been doing was speak. Like that's mostly what I did in the circus. But right, I just MCing, yeah. And I was like, well, I'm going to move on to comedy, but I hate comedy. And what was the precedent for you hating comedy? so much of it is just like i i grew up on comedy i don't you know like i love george carlin i love bill hicks um but i wasn't super into comedy and most comedy is like we said like the majority or at least the perception i think it's definitely changing now Yeah, there's definitely a lot more creative people in it but comedy just got really stagnant and it just you know i mean you, you yeah you know, I, I like what we're talking women about like, definitely yeah, like yeah that kind of thing And it's just, it's just a string of dumb shit stereotypes that are supporting each other. Like Mm -hmm. I feel like one of the worst things about comedy and comedians is like they broadcast the worst parts of their psyche as well as their most boring parts, and then they pat themselves on the back for them, and then like. It's the opposite of therapy. Like it's, it's how to take everything that's wrong with you and exacerbate it. Right, right. I can see that. Oh,
1: I feel like there was like maybe you would have probably been into like British comedy. Maybe I do like, like British comedy. A yeah, bit. like uh, and like the like the kids in the hall or things like that. Mm-hmm. That are like there was definitely stuff. I know what you're talking about, and I, I think. Like if I think got Billy Connolly is
0: one of the most brilliant things ever.
1: I need to really check out a whole special of his because people keep oh, saying he's that he's, he's like really... like yeah, he's the really king ki- Because oh, in America, he's not... I mean, he was like the guy that had a class for yeah. a while. He's not as well-known, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people we think are great in England that aren't really well-known
0: here, but, um, but yeah. Well, you I know, think one of the things about English comedy, and I think this holds me back a little bit too because I want to be this way, but the industry doesn't want me to be this way, is a lot of English comics are a little bit more long-form. Even if they're doing short jokes and stuff, they're doing like real subtle callbacks mm-hmm. and just a, a lot of I, – I don't know. It's more long form. It's yeah. like, like, like if you close your eye – yeah, Matt is like that. He did a lot of like really in, and in, i that, and callbacks. And I think that he's yeah. very very palatable for American audiences. He's mm-hmm. hilariously funny, yeah. but – but, yeah, he's got that very English thing where he hits you with a callback that you never saw coming, like, a good 15 minutes later.
1: So who was the guy that you were friends with? Was he kind of, like, mentoring you in, into, like, just, like, going with you to open mics when you started? Or how did that work out?
0: No, although I did start with Sean Patton in New Orleans.
1: Oh, you did? He's fucking great. He's so good now. Yeah, and both I of us that. sucked. <laughs> and, um, you started at the same time.
0: He started maybe a year before me in New Orleans, and there's nowhere to be a comedian in New Orleans. Really, and and um, I hadn't run into Sean Patton or realized how good he'd gotten until like I don't know five months ago. I saw him and and he just like tore it up at Power Violence in L.A. and I walked up to him and he was like drunk and I he was being kind of rock star y.
1: Yeah, and I was like, no, no.
0: We started together. We used to, we used to both. I was like, you did my show because it was the only show in town, other than the show you did. <laughs> right, because like, and it was it two you guys in New there's, there's like one open mic in New Orleans. And uh-huh. well, it's, it may be different now, but it, it's probably another it's like room. Two thousand two or three way. or yeah, two. Yeah, two thousand three. I would think mm-hmm. um, there was a room at Carrollton Station, and when you would do it, it was once a week. And when you do it, people had driven there for four hours to tell the worst jokes. And like, very quickly, I was like, well, if I wanted to comedy, sure as shit ain't doing it here. (laughs) It was just, there wasn't enough stage time to be had. And everyone in that scene was awful. Me Mm -hmm. included. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Sean was funny then, but he was open mic funny and mm-hmm. he's still very standard it's nowhere near what he's doing yeah, now
1: he's an amazing storyteller I like the things that I've seen him mm-hmm. do are just basically stories but yeah. he just they're so good I, and we, yeah I don't know if he's super well known to people outside the comedy nerd world well this is in, this could be a good segue into talking about you're gonna do this show in San Francisco works,
0: Stageworks yes.
1: and you're gonna be doing an Hour yeah and you, like, yeah. have you done this hour before? Is this something yeah. you've been doing? You've been doing it. Okay, so. You,
0: I mean, I've, I've been.
1: You've been doing stand-up for a long time. I've been time. doing stand-up for
0: eight years. Right, right, right. Um, uh, some of this stuff is stuff that was written recently. Um, I'll decide what I'm putting on it mm-hmm. at the end of it. I actually think I'm going to try and do not three completely different sets, but I think what I'm going to try and capture before we go into editing is probably about ninety minutes of material, mm-hmm. maybe two hours, um, and then in post we'll we'll edit it down to, to make it the, the best I can.
1: And your idea is you want to do like a online only kind of release, like a yeah. concert video. Um, what I want online. to do is
0: is I have multiple problems with the comedy industry. One of them is. There's a series of compliments and backhanded compliments that I would get all the time. I, I think that I'm good. I think that I really like what I do. And I think I know the people that also really like what I do. And like I just said to you before, like a lot of them are not the kind of people that will normally go see an unknown comedian. Therefore, I can't build my audience. And comedy club's the way that I would like. Also... Um, you know, I... Road work, like... Even if you do great, the club owner wants you to be dumber. Mm-hmm. Like, I would get this thing all the time where, like, club owners would say things like to me like, I think you're brilliant, but I think you're too smart for the idiots that come to my club. Which is awful. Like, I don't want to hear that. Yeah. Like, what, why, don't terrible, you, why don't you stop attracting idiots? And, yeah. like... Um, if, and why do you feel... Like, you take these people's money every night and you think they're all... Like, I it just it makes me upset in so many different ways, but the thing is is like i I think that there's I think that there are plenty of people out there that like what I do, and, yeah, and like there wasn't a way to get to them before mm-hmm. you know it's that old saying, like freedom of the press only applies to those that can afford a printing press, and before the internet age. We all had to play this game. Well, I didn't want to play that game that the comedy industry wanted me to play. I felt like if I started writing dumber jokes, then the people that really, really do like me would stop really liking me. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't like my act. I didn't become an artist to pander. Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, if I wanted to follow somebody else's rules, I'd wear a suit and I'd make a lot more money and I'd do real estate.
1: You were in the Bay for... Yeah, and I was here
0: here from like 2004 until... uh, Two thousand nine.
1: So your whole comedy oeuvre just was developed
0: in the Bay Area. Yeah? yeah, yeah. I definitely would think of myself more of a San Francisco comic because I was okay. going, yeah, I didn't build, I didn't build one joke in New Orleans that I mm-hmm. told even a year later. <laughs> <laughs> I built my whole act here.
1: And you have, so you were, at a certain point, you were doing ma- making a living doing it and tro- touring and doing...
0: I made my entire living as a street performer mm-hmm. and that's how I supported doing comedy. Okay. Where this is, like, going down to, like, Union Square and stuff? Uh, I wouldn't work Union Square. I'd work the wharf, and then I'd travel,
1: too. Mm -hmm. Um, And what was that act? It was basically
0: 90 minutes of comedy um, wrapped around eating fire and walking on broken glass. Uh That if I were to do what I did in my show and not talk, it would take me about... 114 seconds. <laughs> just, right, right, right. Okay. Most, Most of my show was not doing anything. <laughs>
1: Did you have to buy time at Fisher's Wharf
0: on no. the stage? No. What's up with I the don't stage work area? I don't work the stage. You just, you're off on the side. I won't, I won't yeah. touch the stage. There's a much better spot. Um, And I don't want to get into this too much because it's a long, long thing. I actually got in a legal fight with the port and the city because they started permitting the the area that it worked. And they basically Basically. destroyed what's brilliant about street performing. And the the wharf is a mess now. And Mm -hmm. it used to be really good shows.
1: I remember going to see that shit when I was a kid. Yeah, I'd see some guy doing like a comedy juggling combo and we'd just be sitting there all Mm -hmm. huddled in our coats. It was awesome. I I remember that stuff. Well, street
0: performing, the the problem was I was fighting trains I was fighting trying to protect something that most people don't know exists. Like, a great street performer can really challenge boundaries. Like, my show involved around trying to get you to go away. Mm -hmm. You know, like, yeah, you know, it was dirty, it was crass, you know, like, it was challenging all sorts of lines, and there were other people like me. They were the ones that inspired me to be that way. And it's like... It's like this really pure form of anarchy because people aren't supposed it's a sidewalk. They're not supposed to be there's not supposed to be two hundred and fifty of them standing there watching you for ninety minutes. Yeah. Like it's against but and, and they're and they're a diverse crowd. Like they're a more diverse crowd than you'll ever get in a club because the people that are in a club have been filtered by the fact that they wanted to go there. Right. In the streets, you just grab everybody that walked by and you know, you have people that don't speak English standing right next to like you know, like little metalhead kids from Iowa, and uh-huh. like you have this crazy diverse crowd that just decided. Mm-hmm. To mean, stop. You, you led them, but they're still like, you know, it's a really powerful thing. Yeah. So many people have never seen it. It's more I like you think, head and, to, and yeah. I never told people in the comedy I was a street performer because if I did, people would be like, "Oh, that's cool." So you like juggle and put out your hat, and I'm mm-hmm. like, "No, I scream profanities at people for ninety minutes and." Convince a crowd of 250 people to give me $20 bills for being rude. No, seriously, folks, don't just walk off like that cheap bastard right there. (laughs) He got pissed off because I called him out on a job interview. He's like, man, I don't have any damn money. This sucks. (laughs) Here we go. Seriously, do step forward. Shake my hand. That means a lot to me. A lot more than just seeing some douchebag turn his back after 45 minutes. It's okay. We can call him a douchebag. Take a look at that dude. Odds are about 70 to 1. (laughs) It's okay. The kids don't know what douchebag means. It means the greatest father in the world. (laughs) I taught my friend's kid that the other day. And then I flew out of town. (laughs) Sometimes I'm awesome. Here we go. Okay. Okay, I can do this. And again, maybe I can't. You guys don't know. Maybe I can't survive this at all. Maybe I'm just a suicidal exhibitionist. (laughs) Woke up today like, I'm going to end it all. But first, I'm going to build a crowd of 150 children. (laughs) Ruin their lives. (laughs) Like Disneyland in hell. (laughs) Here we go. Oh, man. Okay. Ow! Crap. Thanks for laughing now, dude. That's nice, yeah. Hang on a second, I'm not laying on that one because it's my show. Matter of fact, not that one either. Not this one, this one, this one, this one. Get that one out, yeah, you're right. This one looks dangerous. Oh yeah, dang, dang, dang. I didn't want that one out. No, you're right, here, let's get that one. Let's get that one out, I don't want to get a paper cut. Those suck. Oh man, I should have sent that tape to Comedy Central. (laughs) Hang on, let's get that out of there. I don't even know what that is. I don't think I need to lay on copper to oppress you. (laughs) Oh, it's from Basil Hayden's. This crowd doesn't know what that is. It's expensive. Here we go. Don't worry, I didn't drink it. (laughs) Man, I should have sent that tape to Comedy Central. To be flying to Africa with Dave Chappelle right now. <laughs> nope, stood. I'm still out here on a street corner risking my life for a bunch of retarded tourists that want to watch me die. <laughs> and that
1: was paying, paying the way so you could lose money doing comedy?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> it seems to be a pattern I've seen with a lot of people. When I talk to a lot of people about it, you're always taking a loss on that. But who are some of those other. Was there camaraderie around the street performer world? Like you, there's a camaraderie
0: amongst circle shows, like guys like me that build a crowd, do a mm-hmm. show, um, and we try. And, there, and there's an international community of us, you know, like, um, and we all get along with each other very, very well. And um, even when we hate each other, street performers are, are part of an international family, and we're like. You know, to this day, like there's probably eleven different countries I can fly into that I don't technically know anyone, but I would have a place to crash if I wanted to, even if that person hated me. I mean, that's the rule amongst street performers. Okay. It's like, you know, even if per- like and street performers come stay at my house, and sometimes I'm I don't really like them, and I don't even like their show, but like they're that part is of like the- being in a band. <laughs> yeah, they're part of the family. So you know, I'll cook you food, and you're allowed yeah, to be in the house. Exactly. And, um, and I may just repeatedly call you names, but that's okay. Yeah.
1: So that's, you're kind of, you kind of overlap a bunch of different worlds. So that's,
0: yeah, I'm 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 never satisfied with anything. Mm -hmm. I don't like myopic scenes, but no scene isn't myopic. So yeah, like I bounce around like with the Cacophony Society Underground Arts scene and then. They get on my nerves in certain ways, and then I hang out with street performers, and I really love them. But they get on my nerves in certain ways, and I hang around with comedians, and they get on my nerves in certain ways. And
1: the Chicken John people, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's what man. I meant when I say and yeah. underground, yeah.
0: And you know, like I don't know, I'm friends with a lot of Satanists, and
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So you're just I, you're, I like freaks and
1: weirdos. You like you know? freaks and weirdos, but you're never totally satisfied, and just settling with these people in a way? Or... Yeah, I
0: don't know. But I, I think it's more like just a hungry for experience kind of thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's why in the 90s and the 80s, that's why we all became punks. It wasn't because we wanted mohawks and leather jackets. It was because we wanted something other. In some way, we viewed whatever was around us as drudgery. And We wanted out of it. Mm-hmm. We wanted to find something interesting, find something with meaning, mm-hmm. or find you know what I mean. And, and I think I'm still like that.
1: Oh, I think the one thing I was thinking about, and it is kind of related to like like why I like asking people about family stuff, because I feel like part of what at least my experience is, I kind of did the same thing. Like I'd be in a different group for maybe two or three years and kind of build something there. And the more I think about it now, I'm like I was kind of trying to build my own family unit. Yeah. It, which is, you know, the support structure of friends is usually just that. But um,
0: I've been talking about that a lot with friends lately, about how chosen family is quite often much more powerful and much stronger bonds oh, that's than, like, than yeah, blood family. That's kind of a
1: good segue, I guess, in a
0: talk. Because like, I think, about I think a, a lot right of now. us are like that. We're just, yeah. you know, we we moved on and, I don't know, like I always call my friends like the Isle of Broken Toys. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's a re I, Comics are definitely, I feel like
0: that's the majority of comics, too. Like, there, there's some kind of psychological I think it's the majority thing. of artists. Right. In general. mm mm-hmm. Comics are like that, but people would only say that more about comics because we wear it on our sleeve, kind of, you know?
1: Right, right. You don't think about a certain, like, you know, high art painter person mm-hmm. as being in the same zone. But I think for, at least even being drawn to, like, punk, a lot of it is just, like, anti-authoritarian like, you had issues with, like, authority figures, and, like, that's kind of what I think I associated with it, like, because I definitely felt like I had that coming up. Yeah. But, um...
0: I was definitely looking for for that, as well as something that supported creativity more. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you being from the Bay Area, maybe that wasn't something... I was living... You know, I lived in Seattle when I was younger, but most of the time, like, I lived around people that were very blue-collar, mm-hmm. and they their goals in life were to continue to be blue collar like like blue collar people really got brainwashed <laughs> you know they believe yeah. in they believe in never take a dollar that you didn't earn however the people that run this country are all about take $5 that you earned and then figure out how to make that $5 into $35 while you do something else. Like, that's how you make money. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, like... You
1: know, <laughs> that's just like, yeah, like... <laughs> like the
0: blue-collar people, it's so self-defeating and there's this pride about it. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I denigrate that, but we when you grow up in that, like, you, you know, you try to be an artist or whatever and people are like, well, yeah, but what are you going to do for money? And I'm like, well, I, I don't know, but I'm watching you be miserable for money. So how about... I figure out how to not care about money. How about, how about, that's what I'll do. <laughs> and that's, I feel like
1: I, I kind of had a similar realization. I was like, you know, like I never like played music to make money and I never like did any of like the artistic projects I did to make money. And I accomplished that.
0: Yeah, you accomplished not making any money? <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: You know, I pat myself on the back all the time know, about not it. Not
0: anybody could not <laughs> do it. But... <laughs> you
1: know, I, I had the follow through. I had the real follow through. <laughs> You know, coming from my background. So um, uh, so now... So you're doing comedy in SF. You end up in L.A. at some point? Is that... I was in L.A. I,
0: I, I took off and I toured... Yeah, you you did, did a lot of traveling.
1: You, yeah, I went to Canada, fit. New
0: Zealand, and Australia. Um, and then I wound up in L.A. Um, and I was kind of miserable there. But I was just starting to like it. Um, uh, and that's when... My girlfriend got sicker, and um, I came up here to take care of her again. And so now I'm back in San Francisco. Um, I haven't decided if I'm going to stay here or not. Um, One of the reasons I'm moving forward with this special is I think that it will be really helpful for my career. Um, I don't think it's going to make me rich. I don't think it's going to make me famous. But I think it will make it a little bit easier to be on stage every night and pay the rent. And I think that's good enough. That's all I ever cared about. Like it will help
1: you get booked.
0: Yeah, and I think that it will also help. Um, for international festivals and stuff, and mm-hmm. and where I'm at right now, like, I really want to be, like, if I can establish two months of work in Australia, two months of work in the UK, and then work both here in LA, like, I could be happy with that.
1: Do people freak out about your uh, royalty
0: bits in, in the UK? Have you done that over there? I've never performed in the UK. Um, okay. I, I've done those bits in Australia, and they just think they're hilarious. <laughs> it, like, yeah. I'm... I actually was wondering about that because I wanted to do Edinburgh, and I was like, I wonder if you can say the Queen has tentacles. <laughs>
1: I, feel, I, I feel like the thing with the royalty there, and it's it, the same thing I talked
0: to. About. I would be totally willing to do it just to see if I get arrested, though.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I
0: mean, I feel like it's the same thing. Like, we're we're beyond the point of getting arrested for saying fuck. No one cares if you say fuck anymore. Unless you're in but Russia, if, apparently. But if, I think if... Well, yes, but, you know, that's Russia. Yeah. But I think if I got arrested for implying um, that Excuse the, the queen was a, was a trans-dimensional <laughs> inbred elder god in, um, in Britain, that would be nothing but <laughs> good for my career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> So yeah, yeah. my so goal, my goal in- is, is mm-hmm. like I said, I was sitting there and I was like, you know what? Almost all the bands that I listen to are releasing their things for free online. Um, I'm a huge, like, I'm a huge fan of open source and data. Um, I think that the internet and open source mentality is changing the world entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always felt that way about the music industry, about entertainment. It's like, well, you know, you're going to have to stop making money on merch. You just change the pricing model. Just, you know, stop fighting piracy. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I used to drag around frankenkreist when I was 13 with, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you turn the cassette over, it said piracy yeah. is killing the music industry. We left this side blank so you can help. Yeah. I've been above that opinion since I was a little kid. <laughs> and so I was like, well, you know what? There's people out there that like what I do. So I'm going to dump all of my resources into recording the nicest hour long special that I can and then I'll release it for free online. Mm-hmm. I don't expect it to go viral, but I I look at it and I'm like I can book a rock club rather than a comedy club. I'm fine with that and if I have 20 people in 20 towns that will pay 7 to 10 bucks to see me, then I'm fine. Mm-hmm. And it's you know and then it's then the next year they will be 25. I'm fine with that. That's totally fine with me. That's all I want. Yeah. Um, the problem is, is that... Um, you live in San Francisco. <laughs> the, problem is, the problem is that I didn't start promoting uh-huh. the show until yesterday. Yeah. Well, I you've been dealing with a lot of stuff. So. Yeah. I've, there's, um, with what I was going through, I came... On the day that I lost her, I had been so motivated and taken care of her. I basically thought I was invincible. I was like... I was—I had been going a million miles an hour for months, and I was also like, okay, well, this is going to hurt worse than anything has ever hurt me in life, so that's it. I'm done, right? Nothing can stop me anymore. I might so I mean, need to
1: back up the – yeah, because for the sake of – like, I know what you're talking about, but I might need to explain – Going back a little bit, because so you ended up I kind of don't want to talk. You don't about have to talk so about it. Okay.
0: If you, people look me up, they can find me. Yeah, you can story. look it up.
1: You, but you came up here to deal with the the cancer stuff. Yes, and then, and I then, so, yeah. I met the
0: love of my life on January first. Um, I quickly, I was resistant to dating her at first, and then I fell in love with her. Um, and then she had stage four cancer when I met her, but I didn't really realize that. Um, I knew she had cancer and she'd already had a mastectomy. Uh, I'll make the story as fast as. possible. So, I mean, if it's, if um, it's but I'll, I'll just yeah. tell it because you're right. It's got it. It makes sense. In the thing. Um In March, she sent me a text that said the cancer had moved into her remaining breast. I texted her back and I said, "Do you want me to come?" And she said, "Yes." And so I dropped everything and I moved back to San Francisco to help take care of her and to be with her. Mm-hmm. And in April, her condition started going really out of control. She had a really extremely aggressive form of breast cancer, and. She, um, um, we admitted her into the hospital in May uh, with extreme chemo sickness and dehydration. Uh, She stayed in that hospital for a long time. On June 3rd, I proposed to her at 3 in the morning, and at 11 in the morning, her team of doctors came in and informed us that her cancer had metastasized to the lining surrounding her brain. We got married on June 10th, Um, And two weeks later, I was able to take her home into hospice to the apartment I had gotten for us. And on July 3rd, she took her last breath while I held her hand. Um, And then... I'm going to transition right into talking about something else. No, but, so, yeah, yeah,
1: no, go, go for it. Uh, I just, a, sorry. Just, just to get the story. I can't even get that in. in um, there, and yeah. she's,
0: a, she's a beautiful lady, and um, she is an incredible person. And if you look me up, you can find out who she is. And if you want to look into her life more, I suggest yeah. that you do, because she is incredible.
1: Um, but anyway. And I'm blaming uh, I've only met you in the last few months, so this has yeah, all been going I know. on. Yeah, It's a
0: big story, and I also am trying to live past it now too. Yeah,
1: no, I was gonna say that's part but, of this right now. Yeah.
0: And that's part of why I'm doing this. And but the thing is, is like so I walked out of that. I am I I had planned to do this in March mm-hmm. before I even moved up. I'd planned it for July sixth and seventh. And to do it in the
1: bay or to do it in LA. To do it in
0: the bay at okay. works Um and and May was when she was getting really, really, really bad. And I called Ty at Stageworks and I was like, I'm going to have to cancel. There's no way I can do this right now. Um, She's like, that's fine. And basically after Holly died, I was like, okay, well, I have to go. I have to do this now. This is my, I am I need to, I need to move forward with things. It's the right thing to do. It's a smart thing to do. And so I called her up and I was like, okay, I want to book some new dates. And she goes, how about August She goes like, oh, I guess this, this. And I was like, actually, instead of two, let's do three nights. Because I was feeling all invincible. And I was like, I'm going to get off the phone. And I'm going to do the write-ups. And I'm going to print posters. I'm going to do this. And I got off the phone. And I walked back inside. And then I spent the next month laying on the floor (laughs) freaking out. Yeah. And I'm still kind of in that state. Um, But you gave yourself a deadline
1: in a way. I should have started promoting
0: this like. 5 weeks ago. I'm promoting it now. I'm going to print up a big stack of flyers. Um yeah. but you if mean, anybody listening to this would like to come, not only am I pretty funny, but I'm also performing with Bucky Sinister. Yeah. Who is incredible. He's a great storyteller yeah. and awesome you guy. Also is. from the punk scene yeah. and yeah. a self-help author and, um, Natasha. and Natasha Muse who was voted the funniest trainee in San Francisco, which uh, there is competition for that in the okay. city. <laughs> <laughs> Um yeah. and she I think she's really pretty. Oh,
1: she's great, yeah.
0: Um so, August 30th, 31st and F- September 1st at Stage Works. Mm-hmm. Tickets are available at brownpapertickets.com t- for $10 pre sale mm-hmm. um, I would love it. And he's like
1: funny. That. I'm vouching and I'm I'm interviewing the guy. I've seen him I've seen his act. So uh, and you, I
0: think I'm fine.
1: You know, I mean, you also the hour that you're doing, you know that, so it's more like the promotion that you're stressed out about. You're not. Stressed oh out yeah, the yeah. Show.
0: I'm never like you know when I was going through everything, and all the comedians knew what I was doing. They would you were call me sets. all the time, and they would be like, "I was doing sets constantly." Yeah, and they would be like, "Do you want to cancel?" And I'd be like, "What do you mean? Do I want to cancel?" I was like, "I'm battling cancer. Like I don't know how to do that. I know how to comedy. I can comedy all day. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, like I, like I, I go I, through I, 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 I like talking to doctors. Yeah." And, and running all over the city and doing this and doing this. Yeah. And I go to a set. Well, that's like. A the, break. I've been doing this forever. I know how to do it. Like mm-hmm. I could succeed. And then the people would clap. And then I could feel good. And then i go right back yeah. to fighting this losing battle, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, I, mean I, I I remember I booked you before I knew about exactly what was happening and the. Uh, yeah, and I was—I like, just wanted to give you the out. Like, if you need the time, yeah. Do and whatever. a
0: lot of people said that to yeah. me, and I was like, "No way, you—you booked me. I'm there. I'm so there." <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, and and yeah, you. I mean, I think I saw you the day after, and I didn't realize that had happened. Or like you, you didn't just, see me the day after the business, business
0: show. Oh, you were you at the? business show? I was at the business show. show. Yeah, was that that, the, w- that was weird. It was the day after. Um, we were keeping the news right quiet at mm-hmm. that point. And so I couldn't really talk about it. I was in, I was in a really weird state of shock. Yeah. It's yeah. really weird because when you go through something like that, um, the most, like I was in pain from day one. I was losing it. But I had been in pain too, like watching her go through this. It was awful. Um, and it didn't really start to hit until weeks after and it's still I'm still in that state now I have more hours where I'm together but like I looked at my Facebook from last night and apparently I just had a big freak out and like I've been following I never, Facebook. I never misspell anything, and I'm going through my comments on it, and I'm like, was I typing with my face? What was I doing? <laughs> you're just noticing you're misspelling. As I'm reading it this morning, uh-huh. I'm like, I'm noticing there's a towel next to the computer, and I'm like, what is that? And I'm like, oh, apparently I poured an entire beer all over the floor, <laughs> and there's like dents in the table from me punching it. I'm like, <laughs> apparently Eric had a little night is what <laughs> it happened. Uh-huh. I don't remember doing it. Is your
1: place furnished, <laughs> or is it all your stuff? Is it you're gonna get your deposit back?
0: Um, no, it's 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 furnished mm-hmm. with uh, with me and Holly's furniture and her stuff and mm-hmm. yeah it's, and the cat. Yeah, you the have the cat. cat. Yeah, the cat now. The loud, loud cat. Mm-hmm. Which so not this one. <laughs> which if she can hear my voice anywhere out there through the power of digitization, I just wanted to know that the cat meows now and he meows a fucking lot and he's mm-hmm. really. <laughs> and he doesn't speak English so I can't ask him what he wants uh, I, I honestly didn't want to talk about okay. any of that stuff all I'm sorry about that yeah. it's, it's really weird you, I've only I known you for a couple months I can talk yeah. about it right now you know, it, was, it was a little more than a month ago yeah yeah yeah, yeah totally and it was well. the biggest thing probably I hope it was the biggest <laughs> thing that will ever happen no. in my life anything bigger ever happens I like, know my chest will cave in on itself mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah no you're you're trying to like do your thing you're gonna do your shows um you think you're gonna maybe move back to LA
0: I don't know um the goal is to put this thing together immediately start submitting to like Melbourne Comedy Fest and stuff like that I like San Francisco I'm a little bit more established in LA Mm -hmm. now than I was when I first showed up there and there are a lot of things that I like about LA so what I would like to do is try to establish myself as working in and out of the country as much as possible as well as here in LA yeah and that I can, I think that San Francisco is simultaneously a really great place and a really bad place for comedy. You know.
1: Yeah, like I've been trying to suss that out with people. It seems like people hit a ceiling, and they've got to
0: bounce. Yeah, like just, but it's also a more pleasant place to live. That's true. In LA, yeah. LA, like there's good things, there's bad things, and I have a few things coming up. Yeah, um, you're just in a movie, right? It's not a movie. It's a web series. It's a web series. And when it was first pitched to me. I was just like, that sounds fun. Because basically what happened is is my friends put together this Batgirl web series. And the, the Batgirl they're using is Stephanie Brown, who who none of them felt like she had been ever fleshed out enough in the comics. So they wanted to do this fan fiction thing. And mm-hmm. when it was first thrown at me, my friend Sachs was like, hey, dude, I wrote you into this thing yeah. as a villain. He's basically you <laughs> and he's based on that symbol that you have stenciled on the back of your jacket. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's, I don't know it's the stencil, It's yeah. tentacles that are in the oh, form okay. of DNA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, his name is Tentacle and uh, blah, blah, blah. And at first I was like, I'm a, ba- I'm a Gotham City supervillain? That's awesome. <laughs> but I figured out oh, fan fiction, whatever, blah, 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 blah. And then, um, and then I guess in like February... He had told me, and I was like, "Sure, I'll do it. That sounds fun." And then in February, he's like, "Hey, dude, we're shooting some of the Batgirl stuff. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to need you today, but do you want to come by anyway?" And I was like, "I got nothing to do. That sounds fun." And I show up. What I didn't realize is that everyone involved in this is legit industry. They're doing this as a labor of love. Like, there's props on the table from Battlestar Galactica. Like, all these people work in television and movies. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also didn't notice that they had gotten. I didn't know until then that they had gotten the fight choreographer and motion director that worked on Star Trek, um, and Thor. And so I show up and what I think is going to be this dinky little web series is the best Batgirl outfit that I've ever seen in this tough as nails girl named Marissa Ray, who's awesome, um, And they're filming 17-hour days of the most intense fight scenes I've ever seen. And
1: everyone's just donating their time and labor. Yeah, and
0: like, and these fight scenes aren't like, biff, biff. It's like Batgirl, like, comes in on this rope, and 15 guys descend on her, and she hits this guy, this guy picks her up, she kicks these two guys in the face, she flips this one.
1: And I was just giddy. I was like, this is amazing. She's gonna get to be the next girl with a dragon
0: tattoo or something. (laughs) Um, this this. This thing should look great. Like, can you find it on YouTube right now? Or is yeah, yeah. There, if is you, anything if you look up Batgirl Spoiled, mm-hmm. um, there's a bunch of buzz as well as the trailer. And that's the other thing that I was going to say. Um, the trailer is cool, but all of us are slightly disappointed in it, all of us on the Batgirl team. But the reason that we're disappointed in it is because as we've now filmed a couple episodes and everybody's figuring this thing out, so it's getting better and better and better. So I look at the trailer and I'm like, oh, the like when I saw the rough edit of the trailer three months ago, I was like, awesome. And now I look at it and I'm like, that's nothing because the new stuff looks, you-, you know what I'm saying? It yeah, looks yeah. better. Yeah, yeah. Once you kind of have all those things, and we'll now, be going to and... um, to comic book conventions and doing uh, live fights and stuff. We're going to Kamikaze. Is in... anyone from DC like kind of champing at the bit about this? Or so far, not one word. Um, the thing is, is we're pretty sure as long as a, none of us make any money on it, mm-hmm. they won't sue us. Okay, and it's basically a very please don't sue us. We love comics. Mm-hmm. This is why we're doing this sort yeah. of thing. Um, one of the reasons my character was created was Sachs felt that if we created a character, that it would it re- reduces the likelihood. Right. He he likes me, he likes me as a personality, he thought I would be a good Batgirl villain. Yeah. And if we created me, we created my character, then it's less of DC's foot yeah. we're stepping on. That was
1: the logic there. And I can also see like in the same way, and I mean this in a complimentary way, like you would be like a perfect like Riddler type person or something. I've been
0: yeah, like people people always go like, Oh yeah, you would be a really good Batman Villain, and I'm will I'll be like I've been grooming myself as a super villain since I was in my teens. Like, <laughs> look at my old headshots—like me with red hair and a green suit, like
1: cross processed against yeah. this crazy background. And I think there's something to that. Like I, I mean, I, I think
0: like I've like heard, I grew up on comic yeah. books. I always and I'm a life as as Arter. Like I've always been like, if you build it, they will come, and if mm-hmm. you live it, it'll be real. Like you know, like I still read like psychedelic out there comics to this day. I, 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 like, it was the biggest compliment that I could be given to, yeah. be, to be not only a Batman villain, but a Batman a villain, guy. a customized one based yeah. on me. I was like, oh, that's it's, rad. Yeah, it's,
1: I think about like this thing that Biafra said when he was doing, uh, like, he his whole thing was when he started, he's like, instead of being, like, the John Wayne character, the good guy, he's like, the bad guy is always more interesting. Yeah. And that's like I think a perfect yeah.
0: Well, I, I I've been heavily influenced by The Offer too mm-hmm. ever since I was a kid, mm-hmm. and um, I remember that same statement.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so that's and I've experience.
0: always felt that way too. Like mm-hmm. you know, and I grew up on westerns too. You know, and like western villains, especially in old spaghetti westerns, like they're just these brilliantly like, awful people. <laughs> Acting scares the crap out of me. I'm like, I'm going to watch this and it's going to be awful. Weird. That's weird. scares
1: you more than doing stand-up, which is... For some reason, I'm really comfortable with stand-up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know your set, I guess, is the thing. You're not beholden to another person when you do your routine.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and stand-up allows for a lot of self-delusion. As long as you trick the people into clapping and laughing, you can convince yourself at the time that you're awesome. I think as long as you keep feeling slightly differently about what you're doing, mm-hmm. keep changing what you're doing, then you're evolving as an artist. Like the whole point of this is just to like grow. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I did music for a really long time mm-hmm. and that was kind of my thing. And I was like, in the point where I was like, I was promoting shows. I was playing in bands. I was running a record label. I worked at a label. I had all the stuff where it was just like, I couldn't get out of it in a weird way. Like I was just mm-hmm. like, my yeah. whole social life and everything creatively was wrapped around that. And I kind of feel like only in the last year was I able to take a break from it. And that's the only time I was able to be like, oh, I really... The comedy thing, I get the same jolt of, like, validation and, like, crowd... Contact yeah. that I was dividing and diluting with music. Uh-huh. You know, I was splitting that up. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Is like
0: when you know, and you,
1: did, you were in a band, so you know how that goes.
0: Yeah, and I was talking to Violet from Extra Action the other day, and she was talking about that because I think a lot of us as performers have this weird duality of being total extroverts and total introverts at the same time. Like, um, like quite often, I don't want anyone to talk to me at a comedy club. I don't want anyone to talk to me. And then I go up on stage and I want everyone to clap for me. And then I come off and I just want to just curl into a ball. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Violet was like, yeah, she was like, she's being all sarcastic. She's like, yeah, yeah, I don't know anything about that. And I was like, yeah, but you get to hide behind, you know, a 14-piece marching band with an Mm -hmm. 11-member flag team that's half-naked. She goes, yeah, I know. You know, in comedy, you're just naked. You're, like... (laughs) You're just standing up there holding this microphone with a light on you as if what you have to say matters.
1: (laughs) So what... Do you... Were you cognizant that when you started, things were not good or that you thought the jokes were really, like... Oh, yeah, no, no, no. I knew that I was really bad in the
0: beginning. That's a Um, good reality check, I guess, to have. Well, because I came from other backgrounds, and so Mm -hmm. I was... And I knew... I knew that I was capable of much more, and that I just wasn't capable of it yet. But also, like, I think I would compare, like,
1: people like you or I that have performing backgrounds, and then right, right now, we'll meet a bunch of... I'll meet, a, like, a 22-year-old or a 19-year-old. And they're also, in the last few years, comedy has become a thing that you can aspire towards, where, I think, as I think maybe, like, in, like, the late 90s or 2000, it was still... It wasn't, like, a viable career option. Yeah. You know, and the same thing has happened with music. I feel like there's all these people, like, I just graduated from what, blah, 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 this nice school, and what are you going to do? Like, oh, I'm going to be in a band, because that's like being in a startup. It's like, yeah. I'm gambling on my band. Uh, I'll be able to cash out at one point on my band. You know, that's kind of a, it's a similar idea. Yeah, but I think... Not that the comics are I doing think that. there's a
0: weird thing in that, too, where people get convinced that bands make money. Like, no, I know many fucking... people in bands... <laughs> You know, like, I have two friends, you know, like, my friend Danielle from Guar never really made any money on Guar. Guar. Yeah. Was well, she out, or is she still in it? I don't know. I'll call yeah. her later and find out <laughs> if she's in or out. Guar makes... Play.
1: I thought Guar makes some money.
0: She makes her money by doing things that Guar allowed her to do. She makes her money. She does set design. Mm-hmm. She does all these things. But, but like, Guar is, like, a very, very successful band. Mm-hmm. Guar did... And Guar did also, like... Guarded every little thing to make money. They printed newsletters. They, you know, like, they sold all this mail order stuff. They became this cult. Yeah. And still, you know, like, all my friends that are in successful bands, like, quite a few of them, like, have day jobs. The great thing about Guard, though, is, like, they can be fucking old
1: forever. No one knows what they look like. Yeah. They could Minuto that shit. Well, you know,
0: um, um... Danielle was, is pretty much the only original member other than Dave Brockie. Okay. Dave is, you know, like, they've had, they had, they've had certain people that worked with them for a long time, but as far as I know, Danielle is the only original member other than Odorous Hierarchus. I was talking with Scott Byben mm-hmm. as I was trying to write up, because I can't write myself up at all. I don't know. I, I can't do a bio mm-hmm. because I don't know. The I'm not a salesman. I don't know the right thing to mm-hmm. sell. And it's like if I describe myself as weird and surreal, when I think weird and surreal, I think Will Franken. Mm-hmm. And I'm not Will Franken. Like I yeah. do something that is like – sounds like regular stand-up and then gets really weird out of the middle of nowhere. That mm-hmm. was always what I tried to do. Like, it feels like very Hunter
1: Thompson kind of in a weird way. Not, <laughs> you know, like there's like that, that spirit. Cool. There's like this sort of that spirit and like almost – yeah, it's not like – uh, it's not improvised. It's not like you know uh, beat poetry shit or whatever, you know. But uh, I think there's something about like that. Kind well, of one energy. of the things
0: that I worked on for a long time too, the surrealism, yeah, is trying to figure out how to make it so that people couldn't tell when I was improving and when I was doing written stuff, you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I actually I do a whole bit about this too, mm-hmm. where like everything that I got beat up and called a faggot for liking when I was a kid is suddenly popular. Because the modern perception of what the mainstream likes turns out that perception was totally wrong, which is the other reason why I'm putting this this video out. I'm like, look, if if AMC is making zombie TV series from an obscure comic book that people were making fun of me for reading – Nine years ago mm-hmm. and it is becoming one of the most popular things on television <laughs> like I, I look at all this stuff that's happening and it's like everything that made you a nerd and made you yeah. depre- made you get shit on when you were a kid my age in the 80s like it turns out no that stuff is really popular because <laughs> there's, now,
1: there's now there's a feedback mechanism more directly because before that you got to count on like a, what a Nielsen family. Yeah, and what, what, and what
0: Hollywood thought while they were all doing Coke. Mm-hmm. And Hollywood had that same mentality of the comedy club owner that I was talking about before, mm-hmm. that is like, well, I think you're brilliant, but the morons of. You know, like, mm-hmm. you know the old saying, will it play in Peoria? It's yeah. an old showbiz saying. Yeah. And I've always hated that. Mm-hmm. And It's also condescending I, to Peoria. <laughs> exactly. Um, I've always felt like Hollywood does this awful thing. Where number one, they think people are dumber than they are. And then they pander to that imaginary dumb person mm-hmm. as smart people. Mm-hmm. Like it's really awful. Yeah. And I never wanted to do that. I was, like, I was like, I can't, you know. Again, that's why I'm doing this thing and mm-hmm. releasing it for free. Like all I need is the weirdos that like the weird shit that I'm doing. Yeah. Just need enough of them to buy enough tickets that I can get to the next town and do it again. Yeah. pay some bills and go home and feed the cat. That's, that's all I
1: care. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's actually probably a good way to wrap this one up. Alrighty then. It's a good line, Eric Cash. Thanks for coming to the kitchen. Woohoo!
0: All right. <laughs> thanks, thanks for having me. Been. Yeah. Do you have a website? Um, <laughs> I, I'll throw it on the. On I, went, the I went through not having there. a website for years. I'm putting up another one next week. It's called antifamous.com.
1: Okay. Right on. Antifamous.com. Alright, thanks for listening to the show. If you would be so kind, please leave us a nice review and rating on iTunes. Um, Also, check out the ZUM website, ZUMonline.com, and I'm going to be posting a bunch of podcasts in the upcoming weeks, because I got laid off from my job, and I got a little bit of a backlog, so I got some time to edit uh, maybe we'll get into a bi-weekly zone. I'm gonna be talking to uh, the next couple weeks Tony Bedard from Icky Boyfriends and Phil Elthram from Mount Erie. So, hope to have those in the camera to you sooner than this one was. Uh, I was kind of sitting on this for a couple reasons, but, uh, it seemed like as good a time as any just to just promote Eric's Burrito Fest Show. All right, Uh, this is George, signing off.